I've been teaching Southern culture for about 10 years, 10 or 11 years at this point. And in all the time that I've been teaching it, I have had my classes have an ongoing discussion about race. I have every bit of appreciation for how difficult this topic is. I've had students in my class uh, before screaming at each other <laughs> over this topic. Uh, in one particular case, they were screaming. It was a, a black student and a white student, and they were yelling at each other. And uh, I had to elevate my voice, we'll say, and say, you guys need to back off. You need to stop. And they both turned to me, both of them, and looked at me and said, why? We never get a chance to talk about this. This is great. And then they, they both smiled, and it was kind of surreal because, again, just moments before they'd been screaming about... Um, I believe it was affirmative action is what they were talking about. So that showed me, because that was about two or three years into doing this, that showed me that there is a hunger to talk about this topic. Yes, it's a very, very difficult subject, but there is a desire to talk about it and to separate that conversation as much as possible from the mass media and some of the hyperbole that's out there. And that's going to be the purpose of this very first podcast episode on the topic of race in this class. We're just going to do an overview. We're going to talk about the subject itself. We're going to talk about the difficulty of discussing this subject. So let's get started. I mentioned at the end of last episode that I would be talking about Randall Keenan's Where Am I Black? And in this particular um, short essay, he discusses that concept at length. Uh, he discusses where his his idea of blackness came from without directly necessarily talking about it. Uh, for example, he mentions at, at some points in the uh, the essay that he had family members and that he had grown up around these family members and that they had interacted with each other. But then now these family members were watching, uh, you know, this goes back a ways, but satellite TV, and they were having. Um, images of, of movies and whatnot beamed directly into their home. And he's very careful about the ones that he names. And, and, you know, he's drawing from 80s movies. He's drawing from things like Lethal Weapon. And this is not an accident. Uh, Randall Keenan is, is a, you know, was a very intelligent man. He barely recently passed away, but he was a very intelligent man. And um, he picks Lethal Weapon for a reason. And that reason is because this signifies through the plot of the movie and through the characters in the movie that the the white character is sort of like the primary character and that you have the black character as a secondary supporting character. And we see that pattern repeated in others, other 80 movies as well. Uh, Die Hard is a good example. John McClane is in the building, you know, his the, the partner um, that he's paired with that, that does end up helping him in the long run is outside and not part of the main action necessarily of the story, but he's there as a support character. Um, we even see this, you know, filter down into the present. And uh, it's the fairly recent present as well. Marvel movies. Marvel movies have for quite a bit of time starred white male characters. Um, if there were African-American characters in there, they were often uh, seen as support characters. So um, I'm thinking about the Falcon specifically in this this particular case. And that's before we got to, you know, movies like Black Panther, which resonated with audiences. So that's one of the things that Randall Keenan is calling attention to. The other thing he's calling attention to is 
the the performative aspect of his own race, which to that point he was not uh, confronted with. So he's sitting at a computer, you know, he's typing and he's he's talking about how he's insecure about basketball. And the response from this random person on the internet is, well, I'm going to get out of here and talk to some robot people. And then he just does the internet equivalent of hanging up on him. And, you know, Keenan is like, wait, what? <laughs> Why in the world are you talking about? I'm, I'm black. Why in the world are you leaving this conversation and telling me that you're going to go talk to you know, real black people? What in the world does that mean? And so that is what triggers the name of this essay, you know, Where Am I Black? Because this starts his exploration. And he's very, again, careful to include um, information that, that guides again, the perception of how race is shaped in the current United States. And, you know, this, again, this essay goes back um, several years at this point, but I think the issues are still as relevant today as they were when the essay was written, which is, how do we conceive of these things? How are we, um, how are we perhaps subconsciously uh, creating stereotypes that we attempt to place people into these categories? And when they defy those stereotypes, um, you know, why is it that we don't allow them to to break those stereotypes? Why is it that uh, we only have this certain notion of people fitting into, you know, well, if you're if you're white, you're supposed to act this way. And if you're black, you're supposed to act this way. And those are very difficult questions, very, very difficult questions. And that's why I like to lead with this story, because I think that, you know, Keenan can open that door to this kind of difficult conversation. And I think that uh, his main question is worth you know, sort of reversing and asking in other ways, like where where am I white? Where am I Hispanic? Where am I so forth and so on? And the reason is, is because that can make us more aware of the types of things that are shaping that identity. So, you know, whereas again, I mentioned just a second ago, things like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, how are those subtly shaping the identities of the people in Keenan's life inside of this essay? How are, you know, looking at Marvel movies uh, prior to uh, Black Panther and Luke Cage and, you know, some of the others that are, are coming up in the near future, how are those movies conveying a sense of, of uh, identity to people through subtle nods or through, you know, direct uh, presentation? And again, those are hard questions. Before I move forward with these ideas and, and you know, get lost in some other ideas. I want to briefly note here that that is the assignment that I give in this class, which is it's a, a journal topic. And the topic is, where are you, your race? Taking off from, of course, Randall Keenan's essay's title. And I think that that's an important question. Again, you know, on the surface, if you don't understand the context, the background, and you haven't read the essay, that's like, whoa, don't, people don't talk about that. But I think it is important to talk about that because what I have found in assigning this topic is that it forces people into confronting their own identities and their own assumptions about the world and that it can be a very useful revealing activity. So I'm going to note that now and set it to the side. I'm going to come back to that here shortly. Before I go any further, though, let's, let's go ahead and just tackle this head on. Uh, who am I? And why in the world do I feel like I can talk about this? Uh, I'm going to answer both of those now. Let me let me start with the who am I? I am a middle-aged white man. Um, I and you know, I think that that's worth stating openly because if you're listening to this, you know, you're it's a podcast, and maybe you've never met me directly or anything like that. But yeah, that that's who I am. I'm a middle-aged white guy. 
Um, I have an education in linguistics and philosophy, um, but I have a significant interest in uh, this this particular topic. And the reason is, is because I, I think it's important to understand the history of race in the American South so that that way you can understand how it has manifested and how it continues to manifest into the present. Um, I think that it is worthwhile to explore this. And uh, I think that because I'm, I'm a Southerner and because I, I think that uh, the South is oftentimes misunderstood by other regions uh, because it's thought of in very stereotypical ways. So I, to me, yes, in spite of the fact that I am a, a white, middle-aged male, to me, this is an important conversation. And, you know, I think the next question is, why, why should I feel like I have a right to talk about these things? And my response is, because who wouldn't talk about them? Uh, there's, there's no license out there that gives, you know, one group or one person the right to talk about these things more than any other group or person. I think we all need to be talking about these things. The only way we can confront them and the only way we can put them behind us is if we give everyone open license to go forward and to try to have a conversation about them. Um, I mentioned in the opening that there is a kind of hunger for, you know, for these kinds of conversations. Well, if there's that hunger, that's a hunger that's across all groups. And that means that we need to open up the floor and allow all groups in. Uh, do I claim to be an expert? Absolutely not. No, I, I am an expert on, on some things, but I uh, have tried carefully over the years to use my, my position and yes, my privilege in order to, to create a space where these conversations can happen because I have the ability to do that. And uh, that's to me why it's important to be able to do it. That's why I approach these conversations in the way that I do. And that's why I'm doing it in this podcast. Um, I, I think the next thing I want to say there is, am I nervous for doing this? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I'll get to that as, as we go forward. Um, again, because I think that some people are going to potentially say, well, you know, what gives you the right to talk about this? And to that, once more, I would say, what gives me the inability to talk about this? Now, I will say that I think that I have one qualification that the average person does not have. Um, the average middle-aged white guy does not have. And that is, again, that I've been doing this class for 10 years. And in the time that I've been doing this class, again, I've been inviting people into the conversation. And so I have had the additional privilege to listen to an awful lot of voices uh, in, in this particular topic. Do I, again, fully understand what those voices are saying firsthand? Absolutely not. But what I do understand is, um, again, that hunger to talk about it. And I have begun to recognize a kind of pattern in the responses. And, and I'll get to that in a little while. But before I get into specific patterns, let me, let me jump into a couple of other specific questions. I've had students ask before as well and their response to the aforementioned journal topic because it's just a broad topic. They don't have to respond to the question directly. They can just talk about race in broad terms. It, I just invite people into the conversation. So one thing I have seen in the responses, you know, from everybody is, shouldn't we just let this die? I mean, if we just don't talk about it, then is, doesn't that mean that it'll go away? I mean, aren't we just making things worse by, by, you know, confronting it and talking about it and keeping it out there in the public? And I feel like I can answer that question and my answer would be no, absolutely not. We need to talk about this. 
Why do we need to talk about it? Because if we don't talk about it, somebody else is. And that means that that person is going to be controlling the conversation. And specifically, who I'm thinking of would be hate groups. Um, hate groups really like to talk about this stuff. And they're out there and they're very active. Um, they're very, very active these days. And so if we let them run the conversation, they're just going to keep saying whatever they wish to say. But if we are willing to be active participants in the conversation and to do the hard work and to, to be afraid uh, and to have these conversations and to move forward with these conversations, then we have a voice in, in those conversations. And that's one of the most important things that we can do to make sure that we can put these things behind us. We must be a part of that conversation to, to do so. Uh, another one would be, you know, what is the media's role? And that one, actually, I don't have an answer for. <laughs> I think that the media, yes, can exacerbate the situation and, and act as a catalyst to make it you know, 10 times worse by focusing on the wrong things. I have seen discrimination in the media, certainly. Um, actually, I do a bit of a lecture in my English class on that. You know, we talk about bias in, in the media and we uh, look for examples of that. So I, I'm going to actually leave that question alone. Um, but I do want to tackle one more broad one before I go into some other specifics. And that is the idea of should we look past race? And to that, I don't have one direct answer, but I do have you know, some ways that I want to help frame your thinking on that topic. Um, because again, that's part of dealing with the South and its culture and, and, and its history. On the one hand, the argument that we should just look past race and see people as people, I think that holds some merit. We need to treat people as people. people and I, I hope that we can reach a point where that happens, You know, where we don't judge a person based on any of their characteristics. Um, it is the ideal that has been handed down as part of the American experience, uh, an experiment, um, but it is one that we have fallen short of for many, many well, you know, decades, centuries at this point. So yeah, I think that that's a great ideal, but I also think exactly what I said just a second ago, if we fail to recognize the differences between people and to stand up for those differences and to give voice and to, um, to offer support, then that means that somebody else somewhere is going to recognize those differences and use them against those people. So I think before we reach that ideal, we have to be able to recognize differences and that we have to be able to give value to those differences. I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do. Now, let me say about that answer. I don't expect you to agree with me, um, not at all. In fact, I'm, I'm just, again, giving you some ways that you can frame your thinking about this particular topic. Um, this is based on numerous conversations, again, that I've had in the classroom. I know for a fact that people don't agree with what I'm saying right now, and that's fine. Um, as a part of this podcast, I am not sharing this information because I, I want you to walk away and say, that man's right about everything. Absolutely not. But what I do want you to do, what I always ask in my classes is that if you disagree with me, think about why you disagree with me. And if you'd like to share that with me, I, you know, of course, I always welcome that. Um, I like to be a part of these conversations because I want to make sure that I can use um, this class as a way to host those conversations in any voice that I'm not considering as part of the conversation. I would like to, to hear that voice so that that way I can incorporate them into it. Okay, middle-aged white guy or not, um, why do I think that this is an important thing to discuss? I, I would say that there is a lot of evidence out there that shows why it's important to discuss it if you just go and look for it. Let's start with the doll experiment. And this was um, a, an experiment done by the Clarks, uh, 
in order to illustrate Brown versus the Board of Education. And essentially what they did is they showed very young children, white dolls and black dolls, and they asked very simple questions. You know, is this doll beautiful? Why? And, and things of that nature. And white and black children alike would identify the beautiful doll as the white doll and the ugly doll as the black doll. And this experiment was reproduced fairly recently. If you go and look at, um, I can't remember exactly what channel it is, but if you type in doll experiment into YouTube, there are numerous videos that will pop up. It was a major news network, I want to say um, NBC, that reconducted this experiment. They showed you know, white and black children dolls and asked them the exact same questions. And what breaks my heart every single time that I watch these videos, and I, I show the videos as part of my class, is that you can see these young black kids looking at the dolls and um, you know the, the interviewers again asking those questions and you can see them start so confidently you know like uh, wh which one's the beautiful doll and they, they'll point and their body language signifies that they're they're comfortable but as the questions progress and as you know they they start to realize like which one's the ugly doll and then they they point at the black doll and you can see their body language shrink and you can see their um, their ego become crushed right there in the the camera, it's terrible to watch these very young children um, go through and, and see their self-esteem collapse in, in this particular way. Because the final question that the interviewer asked them in the clip is, uh, which doll looks like you? And there's a, a particular little girl in this clip that uh, points and she, you know, she started so confidently and she can barely raise her finger at the end to point at the black doll after all the other adjectives that have been ascribed to it. And that to me says that there's still work to be done because this means that we have internalized some of these things. And, and by the way, the doll experiment has been reconducted uh, even more recently. And some of those results are interesting because there seems to be a bit of a dynamic shift. I would encourage you to go and do research on the doll experiment because it is a classic experiment and it is certainly part of this conversation. Let's put that one to the side, and I want to talk about one other thing. I've I've already mentioned Marvel a couple times in this podcast episode. I am a big Marvel guy. Um, I love Marvel so much because it it just brings great joy to the world. Um, it's just you know stupid dumb entertainment, and I I love every bit of that. But it's not just entertainment if you pay close attention to it. Um, let's just go to Black Panther. I, I'm gonna stay away from you know some of the Captain America stuff because I'm excited about it. It's developing. Uh, but it's not quite developed yet. So let's go to the Black Panther movie just for a second. This uh, broke box office records. It broke expectations. Uh, people went to it in droves. I remember when it first came out, I had trouble finding tickets. I've made it a point to go see all the Marvel movies when they come out uh, in the theaters because I, I just want to. I want to go see it on the big screen. And we had trouble finding tickets. Um, we tried in Concord, and then we tried in you know, Stanley County, and we tried several different places and, and finally got tickets and you know, we went to it and the, the theater was packed uh, and so forth and so on. Great. That shows that, again, there's this hunger for representation. And we're going to talk about representation in just a second. But before I get to that, the clip I want to draw your attention to now, and I very strongly encourage you to go to uh, YouTube and look this one up as well, is uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, I, I believe it was him. <laughs> now I'm kind of doubting myself, but I believe it was him. Uh, essentially what he did is he, he brought African-Americans in and, and had them talk to the poster of T'Challa and say, this is what your movie means to me. And it's very moving to listen to, to these individuals speak to the poster. And, you know, they're standing there, they're saying things like, you know, you don't know how much this movie means to me. 
uh, it's so great to see somebody on the screen that looks like me. Um, I, you know, I have hope that this will make a difference for, you know, kids coming up and, and things like that. And then, you know, the, uh, Chadwick Boseman comes out and, you know, he, he greets them and everybody's so happy to see him. Um, but it's those responses, those testaments about this is what it means to me. And that too, this is a fairly recent movie, that too indicates the, the work that still must be done. So why do we need to have this conversation? Why is this conversation important? It's because, uh, again, there's that hunger, but at the same time, there is a, there's a gap and that gap is not yet filled. And so what I like to tell classes is that within living memory, maybe you, know, you haven't thought about this before, but there, there are people in your family alive who remember the 1960s and 1970s and the turmoil that uh, existed at that time. And so it's easy to read a textbook and say, oh, this is what it was like in the 60s. And wow, it's not like that today. It's not like that today. But that doesn't mean that today doesn't have its own problems that have been handed to us from the past. And so as we get into the section on race, that's what I encourage you to do. Study this information, understand how it interacts with the American South, and then think about how it still impacts the lives of people today. And then think about what you could do to change that. Um, I think that those are important. I think the doll experiment, the, the Black Panther testimony, I think that those are um, examples of how powerful it can be to, uh, to truly engage with this dialogue. Okay, so in this episode, I'm intentionally trying to stay away from some of the uh, the words that people use when they describe this topic and when they engage with this topic. And the reason is, is because I think that people get caught on those words. Um, I would just rather talk about the ideas. And then, you know, if you recognize that I'm talking about ideas that you can put vocabulary terms on, good. But, you know, if you don't and you're just like, yes, this makes sense. Well, that's good, too, because that means that um, that we can see beyond those terms. However, I do want to talk about, I'm going to try to concentrate on just three terms. So the, the first term is representation. And I mentioned it just a second ago. And the reason that I bring it up is because I want to draw attention to how important it is now. And the podcast uh, episode on gender, I talked about different gender roles. And I mentioned that I, as I, as we got into this section, I would be examining, um, uh, black male and female gender roles. And again, if you look at the ongoing history, you know, moving from prior to the American Civil War, post-American Civil War, into Reconstruction, the Black Codes, um, getting into uh, the fight for true equality, moving up into the 60s, you know, with um, the Civil Rights Movement and, and whatnot, those, those issues are not quite gone. And they've been handed down to us, meticulously handed down to us in the present. And I, again, I think that uh, Michelle Alexander makes a, an important point in her book, The New Jim Crow, which is that, um, you know, since we have more African-American males in jail right now than we had African-American in, African-Americans in slavery prior to the American Civil War, that, that means something. And I would say that one of the reasons why ties again back to gender, we need, we need um, Black Panther movies. We need to show positive representation in order to affirm the value of the Black community. And that is one of the reasons why representation is so important. We need to make sure that we have heroes that represent the population. Again, if you go back to Marvel, it was quite a while before Marvel um, generated anything other than, than a white male. Um, and in fact, you know, most outrageously, they seem to move against it to some degree, which is surprising given the history of Marvel, by the way. 
Um, if you dig into the history, Stan Lee actually wanted to invent Black Panther because he wanted to create representation. He also came up with the X-Men because he wanted a way to talk about the civil rights movement without directly referencing the civil rights movement. There's a reason that the X-Men are, are different and spurned by society that uh, I think once you call attention to that, it's quite obvious, you know, the, the tale that he's weaving at this, this particular time and what some of the characters can in turn represent. Um, so yeah, again, given that history, I, I think some of those things are surprising, but I hope that that gives you something of a sense of why representation is important. We need positive role models out there in the public for young children to look up to because that's how they're going to shape their identities. This also goes back to the literature section. This is one of the reasons I put race where I put it, because I think by this point you should understand it. Um, you know, I ask what would Bayard do? Well, it's, it's the same thing. What would T'Challa do, right? If you are a young child watching that, uh, a young black child watching that, and you're, you know, looking at this individual on the screen and you say, wow, what a powerful, noble guy. Then if you're in a situation where, you know, somebody might be calling into question your, your honesty or your integrity or something like that, there is that tendency, that very much that tendency to say, what would T'Challa do in these circumstances? So again, that's why representation is important. That's why I try to at least nod toward it in uh, in my classes, and I wanted to do it here in this podcast as well. One other term I want to call attention to is one that if you pay close um, close attention to it in uh, Kanan's essay, you'll see that he uses it as well. And that is the concept of the other. And this is generally written as capital O, other, to distinguish it from other concepts. It is a philosophical, uh, sociological concept that essentially says that we gain value in our identities uh, through what we're not as much as through what we are. So um, part of my value, I think that this this particular approach would argue, part of my value as a male is the fact that I am not a female. So females are other to me. And uh, so therefore I could draw a line and say, look, this is me as a man because, you know, I'm not a woman. And um, that applies to race as well. You know, the, the part of the idea is that, uh, you know, your value as a, a white person comes from the fact that you're not a black person and vice versa. So that's what the concept of the other is. On the surface, that that's problematic. But if you dig even slightly de deeper, you uh, grow to recognize how insidious this is. Uh, because what people tend to do is to rank their, uh, their own personal identity above that of the other. So this is one of the reasons why men have fought so hard against women gaining the same you know, rights or outfits or whatever that they themselves have. After all, I put simply, if women start wearing pants, what is to distinguish men from women any longer? I mean, that, that was kind of the argument at the time, right? If, if women are wearing pants, well, then how, how can men be? And there were even cartoons painted or drawn of, of men wearing dresses. And I, would, I include this concept and draw attention to it because to me, I think that it explains why some white people, and by the way, let, let, actually, let me be very clear before I say this, I am not excusing it in any stretch of the imagination when I say this, but what I am doing is trying to find a way that we can frame the conversation in a useful way so we can delve further into it. So I'm attempting to explain it, not to exonerate it or, or you know, explain it away or anything like that, just to give some language to it. Again, coming back to the idea of the other, I, this is one of the reasons I would imagine that white people fought so hard against equal rights and equal treatment for black people um, during the civil rights movement and even up until the present because same thing as, you know, why should w women wear pants? 
Um, how are white people supposed to have an identity if everybody's equal to them? Uh, and so, again, you can see that insidious nature to this. Um, but if you pay attention, and as we move forward, by the way, you're going to also read an excerpt from Ann Moody in our class. Um, this is from her coming of age in Mississippi. And she notes that she's sitting at a lunch counter doing a protest and a bunch of white students come in from the local high school. And when they do, they come in and they just pause and they, they stare at her for a second. And she mentions um, that they didn't seem to know quite what to do. To me, that is a moment of the other because they, they are like, wait a minute, this challenges my worldview. How am I supposed to react if, you know, black people are doing what white people normally do. This this rocks their world and their sense of identity. And so then they, of course, react very negatively. They they begin attacking them. She mentions, you know, the training that she had to go through to be able to protect herself. They uh, physically assault her. They, you know, dump condiments all over her head and, and things of that sort. But again, that's why I bring up the topic of the other, because it can give a way to approach identity and understand it in terms of you know, race and, and, by the way, yeah, gender and sex as well. But certainly, as we move forward, um, it can be a part of our analysis of how race is manifested in the South. And that brings me to the last thing I want to do inside this podcast episode. I mentioned again that assignment from before. I said I would return to it, and here's where I want to return to it. Um, because I also mentioned that I've seen patterns emerge over the years. And so I'm going to try to speak to some of those patterns that I've seen emerge. Um, this always makes me nervous because, again, there's there's going to be somebody out there that's like, no, that's not true. Of course, of course you're going to feel that way. Because these are just broad things that I've noticed. This is certainly not true for everyone. So please keep that in mind. If you're listening to this and you're like, ah, I've never, I never agree with that. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm not saying that these are universally true, but what I am saying is that uh, these are the patterns that I've seen. And so these are the patterns that I've seen based on, yes, race um, on, on the message boards. And I'm going to start with the, the um, I'm going to start with the white patterns that I've seen emerge on the message boards. And that's because, um, well, I've, I've already mentioned it several times myself. I'm a middle-aged white guy. So let's just go to number one. There's a fear among the white population to talk about these things. And I, I again, I've seen people say that repeatedly on the message reports, not just one class, almost every single class. I have at least one person, usually more, that say, you know, I'm, I'm terrified to talk about these things. And the reason is, is because they don't want to be seen as racist. Um, because let's face it, you know, there's nobody that comes along and is like, hey, here's an education on what you can and can't say. And so, you know, when you ask questions, you try to ask questions in a sincere way. And granted, yes, I do grant some people ask questions in an insincere way in order to be passive aggressive. That is not at all what I'm referencing. I'm I'm referencing people who genuinely want to know and are trying to ask legitimate, straightforward questions. And, you know, not not a gotcha question, but a like, hey, I, I'm having trouble understanding this. Please help me, right? That's that's a legitimate, straightforward question. But oftentimes these questions get lumped together. And then, you know, just asking a question can be perceived, perhaps perceived, or there's a fear that it could be perceived as racist. Um, and so there's a hesitation to discuss these things. Um, 
that's also because you know, way people have a hard time understanding these topics. Again, there, it's not just that, you know, this knowledge is imparted. One of the other things that uh, I want to make sure I say in this podcast, and this is a good location to say it, is what I insist to my students all the time. If you're white, you have no idea what it's like to be black. And if you're black, you have no idea what it's like to be white. It, it, these are worlds that are locked apart from each other, but they don't have to be. We can share and we can discuss these things. And part of that is being able to openly share and discuss these things. Uh, to be sincere and to not want to cause harm, um, I think is a really great place to start. And that's what this class is all about. And that's, again, what this podcast episode is all about as well. Uh, okay. And that brings me actually to the third term that I wanted to mention inside the podcast. And I've already said it elsewhere, but it is uh, privilege. Uh, oftentimes I've, I've seen on the boards that, uh, you know, when white people respond to the question that I posed from Randall Keenan's essay, where am I black? And they say, you know, where am I white? they will respond with, I've never really thought about it before. And here's where I would very gently suggest that that's what privilege is. Um, because I, I, again, I do know some people are going to say, oh, no, that's not a real thing. I, I would very gently suggest here that if you've never had to think about where you're white, that in itself is privilege. And that means that it's never been something that you've had to think about before, because it's never something that the consequence of it has influenced you in one way or the other. Um, it's not the privileges that you have all the benefits and that you, you're supposed to have good jobs and that life is not supposed to be hard for you. Life is hard for you. It is. But if you, if a factor in that hardship is not your race, that is the, the privilege that people talk about. Now, again, I understand some people are going to disagree, uh, by all means, you know, send me an email and say, I really disagree with you, but I at least want you to be able to articulate why. Okay. Uh, all right. One more. Well, let's just make uh, two more, well, two or three more things. All right. One other thing that I've seen emerge on the boards is that uh, white people also hesitate to talk about these things because they have family members who are racist. And uh, those family members are very outspoken. Uh, and um, the hesitation is that because those family members are racist, they themselves, the, the people that are speaking, not the family members, are going to be perceived as racist, uh, racist as well by proximity. And that's very difficult, I think, for uh, for other groups to understand. These are family members. And I, you know, I brought this up in a class one time, and I had a student that said, well, why don't you just stop talking to them? Okay, well, that's that's a very difficult thing, because what you're, what you're suggesting is that we should stop talking to grandparents or uncles or, you know, cousins or, or something like that. So how do you go about confronting somebody that you love, that you know is wrong, and that is behaving in an awful, ugly way uh, without losing that person? Because sometimes when you start these conversations, you do lose family members or you do lose um, uh, friends. I can say, again, as a middle-aged white guy, I have experienced those things. I've lost family members or, or, I mean, just who don't want to talk to me anymore because I won't let them do these things. Um, so that, those are difficult parts of, you know, the, the white experience that oftentimes manifests on the boards that I, I like to share because I, I think that, again, they need to be shared. They need to be discussed. Okay, so those experiences were kind of inside my wheelhouse, so to speak. Um, the only other one I can think to mention is just kind of a flippant one which is that uh, I've seen some white people say, you know, we, you know, we get stereotyped too. We don't just like Starbucks with pumpkin vanilla lattes or whatever. Um, 
but that that's kind of a flippant one. Now, I, what I want to do is move outside of my wheelhouse, and I want to try to talk about some of the other things that I've seen as well. And I, I'm saying these, I have not, these are not my own personal experiences, but they are experiences that I've extrapolated over the years from, again, witnessing something like a decade of uh, boards where people have discussed these situations. So keep that in mind. Um, I'm talking outside of my own experience and I don't claim to have any expertise directly firsthand. I only have what I've witnessed. So let's start with um, a very difficult one. And that is that a good number of students who respond on these boards will say, uh, black students uh, will say, you know, I, I have witnessed or I've had in a direct experience with discrimination before, including things like I've heard uh, people called words or I've seen uh, actions in, in one particular case or in, you know, this is not an unusual story. Um, you'll have a student say, well, you know, I was walking to my car and there were some white people walking to their car and they jumped in their car and locked the door and then stared at me. <laughs> And, and I kept thinking, well, I mean, what am I doing? I'm walking to my car. Um, and I've also had, by the way, in response to this, I've, I've seen some white students respond to that and say, well, I've known you for years and I had no idea that you had seen something like that. And um, I, I think that that's worth noting. I think that's worth drawing attention to that, you know, sometimes if you're outside of that community, you might think, oh, okay, you know, I, I have friends and they've never said anything. I would say, you know, start that conversation. Again, that's what this this podcast episode is about, is trying to give you some tools to start important, difficult conversations. Another one is that uh, I've noticed that Black students will share that they've had negative interactions with the police. And they will say as part of that, I understand that not all police are the same, you know, not all police are like this, but this was my interaction in this particular instance. Um, I've, you know, I've seen that story go both ways before. In one case, I, you know, I had a police officer in my class and he said that he had pulled over, you know, a, a young black man. And then when he got up to the window, he was crying. He had his hands on the, the steering wheel and he was just sobbing. And he said, what's wrong? And he, the, the young man looked at him and said, I don't want to be shot. And I, that's, wow, that was very difficult to read. But I had other students respond to that and say, I've felt that, right? I, I myself have been in a similar position. Um, so, I, you know, again, I, I understand that this is a difficult part of the natural conversation right now, but I, I think we have to be able to listen to those stories and to hear them um, because I think that those are difficult stories and that um, we run the risk of broadly stereotyping and we have got to be careful not to do that. Not all police are the same. Not all members of any group are the same. But um, there are negative interactions and uh, there are many recorded instances of those and they're very difficult uh, to confront. As a side note here, by the way, if you want to try and understand how difficult those interactions can be, um, I would say that I, I would very strongly recommend the book, The Hate That You Give. I think it's a, an absolutely brilliant, wonderful book. Okay, uh, a couple of others then, just to kind of round this out. There are struggles against stereotypes. This goes back to Keenan's essay. You know, why is it that Keenan can't like Dungeons and Dragons? Or, you know, why is it that he, he can't like Star Trek and things like that? Um, it's not necessarily that he can't, it's just that there are stereotypes about those, uh, what the audience members for those looks like. And, uh, you know, he's like, I, but these are the things I like. Why can't I like them? Why is it that I'm supposed to like basketball? 
And uh, there's, again, a struggle against those stereotypes inside of this community as well. Um, I think this one's worth noting, and it's a, it's a hard one um, too, but I've also seen students, uh, Black students say, you know, I just don't want to be a part of this conversation. I'm so tired of hearing this conversation. I'm so tired of being dragged into it because, you know, people look at me and say, oh, you're Black, let's talk about race. I think that that's worth addressing as well and, and confronting because, I mean, quite frankly, again, that's a stereotype too. Oh, well, you know, you must want to be a part of this conversation. That is not the case. Definitely not the case. All right. Uh, last thing that I can point out inside of this, this particular category is that, um, and it's tied to that last one, but black culture is not just one thing. And that's hard to convey to you know, white people who, who may have this general notion of what black culture is or isn't, or is supposed to be, or isn't supposed to be. And, um, yeah, that that's, I've seen students express frustration over that before. Hey, I like, uh, you know, K-pop, or I like Dungeons and Dragons, or I like, you know, whatever I happen to like. And it's it's not, you know, the type of thing that Keenan himself is addressing inside of his, his essay. So I, I think all of those are difficult to confront, but I think that they are worth pausing and considering. And again, by the way, if you're listening and you think like, oh, I very virulently disagree with this, I, you know, we should not be talking about this, or we should be talking about that, or something like that pause and think about why and think about if you don't want to talk about it is it because it's outside of your own experience or is it you know i mean is it somebody else's experience and if so that experience is legitimate and you know how is it that we can dismiss somebody else's experiment uh, experience uh, wholesale and I, I think that's worth pausing and considering if we want to truly be an american people we have to be an american people which is a unity uh, through a diversity of people. And so we have to recognize all the different kinds of experiences. And again, you know, based on the two categories I've just discussed, I, I think that that can start the conversation. Okay, I've framed this conversation largely in terms of black and white, but that's because, again, traditionally throughout uh, the majority of the South, that's been how it's it's been more or less framed. Um, but there are other groups that, that have moved into the region as well. And I'm, I'm going to briefly mention some of the responses that I've seen in that direction. Uh, let's think about Hispanic groups just for a second. Uh, one of the things that I've seen emerge on the boards is that oftentimes these students will express that it is difficult to talk about their feelings because of the mixed backgrounds that they have. Uh, if you've never paused to think about this before, that that is you know exactly how you know, people from that background might feel. They have, on the one hand, European um, uh, progeny in their background. And then on the other hand, they have uh, ancestors, that's what I'm looking for, ancestors um, who are from Central America or the Americas in general. And so there are very strongly mixed feelings. Uh, there are, on the one hand, you know, the, the Spanish and Portuguese came and took a great number of things from Central and South America. And uh, that's essentially robbing these cultures or wholesale murdering these cultures. Uh, if you look at the, the Aztecs, for example, the Incans, uh, those stories are, are quite tragic. But on the other hand, you know, they, they have this dual identity because they identify sort of with both because both have been handed down. Um, also, there's, I, I don't know how else to call it, there's a kind of a, a burden that these students will express for knowing 
possibly knowing two different languages that splits their identity as well you know this, there's this sense of okay where where am i me like how am i split between these two different communities because they may have individuals at home that speak one language and then they go to school and there's a different language and they're trying to navigate this space and the difficulty of doing that it, uh, cannot be fully expressed to those who don't firsthand experience it so there's that kind of duality conversely there's all there are also students who say I only speak English. My family has been here for, you know, five, six, 10, 20 generations, whatever it's been. Um, I am so tired of people looking at me and just assuming that, you know, I, I just recently moved here or something that there's that, that kind of anger there, which is a justifiable anger. So I, I wanted to share that as well, because I think that that's an important consideration to take into mind that, um, that um, among this group of people, it, it, again, we can't just paint one broad uh, approach because there are very, very radically different approaches here. Uh, they also very much, this is the last thing I'll say in this group, they also struggle because they frequently see or experience discrimination and hatred uh, because of some of the, the strong attitudes out there in our, our culture right now. Um, they are frequently targets, um, and that, that I think that that's a, quite a sad thing because people need to understand these cultures, and they especially need to understand how these cultures manifest in places like North Carolina. Um, they're oftentimes taken advantage of because they don't have the power or political clout to be able to fight back. That brings me to the other last group that I want to talk about. I'm going to say this in a broad way. Those who are from Asia, so this would be you know, Japanese, Chinese, uh, Koreans from North or South Korea, Vietnamese, Hmong, so forth and so on. Uh, you know, one of the chief complaints that I've seen, uh, not complaints, sorry, one of the chief um, observations that I've seen about other people's behaviors, which is that um, that people just very much stereotype them. And they'll say, oh, you're Asian. Well, okay, that's like saying, you know, to, to me or someone else, oh, you're North American. That's an entire continent. That's, I mean, you know, that's, that's, you're ignoring political and social and cultural distinctions that are important. You cannot just say, oh, you're Asian, because that's, again, an entire continent. So that's, that's one of the observations that uh, this, this group tends to make. Another is that the broad stereotypes are very hurtful. And so sometimes I'll have students report things like, you know, ever since I was young, uh, people will come to me and say, oh, you're really good at math because, I mean, again, you're Asian, so you must be good at math. Those stereotypes are, you know, some people might look at them and say, well, what's the big deal? That sounds like a, a positive. It's not a positive because you're ignoring the the direct social um, identity of this particular person and just treating them as though they they meet all of these um, expectations that is that is very much a stereotype and uh, that's it's not fair to that individual so one of the things that um, I have seen these students suggest on the board over the years is that they would rather be asked what their ethnicity is rather than just being seen as a broad category they would rather be engaged with, and this is universally true for all groups on the board usually, um, they would rather be engaged with as a person, right? That they would rather have their uh, differences celebrated rather than stereotyped.
So that turned into another fairly long episode, but I think that these are important topics. Uh, my goal here is to just start a conversation to give you some food for thought. Uh, my greatest fear in always assigning this topic is that people will just come and say, here's my experience, and then they won't go and read other people's experiences. So my hope is that by doing a podcast episode where I say, hey, here are some of the general trends that I've seen emerge on the board uh, boards over the years, that that will give you, you know, the person listening, the opportunity to either say, oh, wow, maybe maybe I didn't consider that before. Let me, let me take a little bit on that. Maybe, you know, ask my friends or something like that, and we can have a conversation. These are difficult conversations, and, you know, don't force them. Um, I had a student one time who said, you know, I, I decided to ask the question, uh, like what is your experience with race in the south to a co-worker this was a white student asking a black co-worker and the co-worker rolled his eyes and left and the student was like okay i don't really know what i did wrong but the next day he came back and he said you know you asked me that question yesterday and it hurt my feelings and i was mad i went home and i was mad but then i realized that you know you you sincerely want to know and so let's talk about it so don't force these conversations. Just listen. Be patient. And you know, as a general reminder, and I know this seems like common sense, but when you ask a question, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> keep your mouth shut and listen to the answer. You know, don't wait for your turn to speak. Listen. Genuinely listen to what the other person has to say. And when they get done talking, then ask another question or you know, say, "Okay, I hear you. Here's my experience." And again, that's why I've shared in such a broad way here, because my I, that's my hope is to, to trigger conversations and to get people to talk about these difficult things. Um, even if it's to say, oh, man, did you hear what Mr. Bowman said? Um, he is completely wrong. OK, good, because that, that means at least you're trying to talk about it or you're you're pointing out why I'm wrong. Um, that might be your response on the journal board. I assume when you're listening to this, you, you haven't posted the journal board yet, uh, but this entire episode might give you a jumping off point. If, even if it's, okay, I listen to the podcast episode and, you know, I was mad and then I calmed down and I decided here are the things I want to say. Great, great, fantastic. I, I welcome that. I hope that you do, okay? We'll pick this up next time. We're going to look at some, some theories of race that uh, have applied in the past and that Europeans used in order to justify some of the things that they did, and then we're going to start launching into the history of race across the American South. See you then.